everyone. Welcome back to My Bitcoin Story with me, Deares Kita. And this is the podcast about telling people the, about their journey of Bitcoin. And then we have a special guest, Jet Sutoyo from Pintu. Hi, Jet. Hey, Dea. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have this talk, especially in the backdrop of the uh, recent announcements. From yeah, Russia. this is like the most exciting time on Bitcoin after like, I don't know how many weeks, like being very stagnant in the 30K. <laughs> And yeah. after the announcement of Tesla, suddenly, shoo. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So really excited to have you uh, to, to be on this podcast. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know Jet, Jet is the CEO of Pintu and also Rupiah Token. Uh, so Pintu is one of the crypto exchanges in Indonesia and then it's one of the biggest crypto exchanges as well. Um, so maybe we can start by, maybe you can introduce a little bit about yourself and also Pintu and Rupiah Token. Sure, sure. So uh, Pintu, uh, as you rightly mentioned, is uh, an, an Indonesian brokerage class exchange for cryptocurrencies. Uh, we started launching it in April of 2020, so very recently, but we've grown massively in the past couple of months. Um, and obviously, it's also part of the luck and, and timing, I, I guess, uh, we caught the right timing there. Um, and our, our whole goal is um, to answer the question of how do we bring in the next 10 million people into cryptocurrencies? So for us, it's, it's very much more about um, catering to the retail users who have never had experience with crypto for the first time. And so we're not really focused as much on traders as uh, some of the other platforms are, but we are really more for uh, the new users and newbies. And uh, before that, we, we actually did start uh, by building a stable coin. That's how we started our first project in the space. Uh, we believe that uh, at the end of the day, you know, you would have um, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin that serve as the reserve currency. Uh, but you also need sort of like this other type of uh, crypto that could be used for day-to-day uh, -day transactions, you know, uh, for, for uh, use cases that... Um, that are closer to us on a day-to-day -day basis and which are not susceptible to volatility like what Bitcoin is. And so that's why we started with uh, Rupiah Token. Mm. And, you know, a little bit about myself. Uh, I've started dabbling in, in Bitcoin in 2015 um, and it didn't, didn't eventually get into the rabbit hole until 2017. Mm. And during that time, I think, uh, as you might uh, know, a lot of people were playing the arbitrage game between mm -hmm. exchanges and, and that's also what one of the things that got me really hooked into crypto because there was the infrastructure at that time was massively underdeveloped um there was there were a lot of arbitrage opportunities that you could you could take in the market and that's how i started getting into the uh, into the industry mm. you mentioned a little bit that you went into rabbit hole in 2017 so what what was like your I don't know, aha moment about Bitcoin or what is the lesson that you learned from Bitcoin that make that lead you to go to this rabbit hole? Sure. I was reading actually the white paper and it really struck me that um, because I understood how financial systems work. Um, financial systems in the traditional infrastructure was built around um, siloed databases, right? Um, each bank, each uh, payments network had their own database. Um, and for them to communicate with each other took a lot of time and took, uh, took a lot of cost. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so by building on a shared ledger um, that everyone have access to uh, and with a monetary policy built into it that, uh, that is deflationary in nature, it's a very novel idea. And I think it's, it's really uh, innovative. And so that's what really attracted me to the concept of Bitcoin in the first place. Um, and then uh, I decided that at the time I wanted to, you know, double down on this. I think um, this is one of the, the, the technologies that could really propel the, not only economy forward, but like also create a, a change in the way of thinking for people. And I thought that was really attractive. And, and so I, I, I got into it, you know, um, around 2017, I, I started doing some research at MIT and then uh, in the, the media lab, uh, I was working with uh, a team with Chris Berniske, actually. Um, mm-hmm. We were looking into how do you value um, a Bitcoin? And at that, at that time, we were looking at it from a um, NVT analysis, uh, network, network uh, uh, transactions uh, to the value of Bitcoin and sort of like putting a, a comparison to MasterCard, Visa or other settlement networks. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I did in, in 2017. And then um, around the same time, I started taking a job at Consensus. Um, and at that time, we we looked into cross-chain atomic swaps. So one of the biggest uh, issues, I think, at that time was uh, uh, we a lot of times we depended on a third party uh, to do transactions, right? Uh, whether it's a centralized exchange or a broker in the middle. And, um, and there wasn't a lot of transparency. And this was a long time before Uniswap or any of the other um, um, on-chain DEXs were, were available. So we were looking into it and we, we sort of solved how we could do a trustless swap between the Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, blockchain. And yeah, so that's, that was how I got into it. And I was doing this, um, thankfully I was, I was taking my MBA at that time, I was, I was at uh, HBS. And so I, I took a lot of that time um, instead of going to classes, I, well, I still did go to classes, but most of my time outside of class, I pretty much soak up uh, anything about blockchain and Bitcoin. <laughs> So you're just like having another master degree on Bitcoin yeah, <laughs> in right? parallel to your MBA. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Mm, so yeah, maybe talk about your education. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of Indonesian listener uh, in here and you know that a lot of Indonesian kids, they look up, they look up to people who have like high education. And in yeah. fact, like most high schooler, they dream about studying abroad and you end up studying in Harvard and also MIT. So how, how did you end up studying in those university and what was it like to be Indonesian in this university? Um, sure. So just a bit of a correction. I, I went to study at Harvard, but I was doing some research at MIT. So I didn't oh, actually okay. go, go to school at MIT, but I was doing some research there. Um, the story behind Harvard was before then I was a management consultant. I, I worked a couple of years in management consulting. And then I also spent some time doing some entrepreneurial work. Um, I, at that time, I was really interested in the energy industry. So I spent some time there. But um, after like two, three years, um, um, I, I figured that I really wanted to take a break, first of all. And I also wanted to dive deeper into into tech and into finding something that I think could could create an impact um, um, in a massive way, um, and so that's why I decided, you know, to apply to business school. And 
luckily I got accepted and um, yeah, that's the rest was history. Mm-hmm. And um, also right now, like maybe we can talk about Tintu itself. Like um, I think you mentioned a little bit about like why you want to start crypto exchange and also the Rupiah token. But um, what was the challenge of setting up an exchange in Indonesia? Sure. So maybe a bit about the story behind why I even started Pintu, right? Yeah. I think, as you know, you know, for a lot of for a long time, I think there was there were, I think there was a lack of on ramps in Indonesia that was really easy for new users. And I say this because of my own experience, right? Uh, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people in Indonesia share the same thought that. Uh, a lot of a lot of the ex- platforms here are uh, catered towards more pro users, and maybe the interface is a, little, is a little bit more clunky. And I wanted that experience to be abstracted away, right? I wanted the I wanted people in Indonesia to to be able to buy Bitcoin as easily as they use um, similar apps in Indonesia that they're used to, like Go Go GoJack, GoPay, you know, Grab, mm-hmm. or those other types of uh, apps. And so that's why I really started uh, Pintu. Because we can't get to the next 10 million people uh, by building, you know, uh, platforms that cater to a niche group of users. Hmm. So I really had to, we really had to think about, you know, um, how the how the long tail of people uh, would want to interact uh, with crypto, and so that's why we started Pinto. Mm. And and what was the challenges in in terms um, of like setting it up? Because like you know. Exchanges are pretty much heavily regulated in Indonesia, and um, it's it's still like something that quite new for for people to understand. So, like, yeah, what was the challenges of setting up an exchange in here? Sure, I think compliance is a, it's a huge uh, it's a huge issue, like you rightly mentioned, right? Um, we've had to deal with uh, the regulators here who are also new to crypto and who are also new to blockchain. So a lot of the conversations there were uh, were really back and forth. We were, um, we were educating each other. Uh, we also learned a lot during the process, right, of, um, you know, anti-money laundering uh, policies. We also had to learn about, um, you know, uh, customer, uh, sort of like uh, best yep. practices for mm-hmm. customers, um, you know, whitelisting tokens, blacklisting tokens, uh, um, putting in enough capital for the company. I mean, there's there's just a lot of things uh, that you have to deal with, um, uh, with 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 getting a, that license. Mm. And that journey was long. Uh, that journey was very long. Uh, and I remember very clearly, like uh, before that time, I think for a lot of people in Indonesia, uh, Bitcoin was. Uh, an analogy or like people think of Bitcoin as like a scam, right? But but with the license in place, you know, it brings a lot of credibility and uh, to our space. And I think that was really good actually um, for, for the development of blockchain and crypto in Indonesia. And I think this is something that we really need to appreciate as Indonesians, because if you look around there, you know, there's a lot of countries around the world who still have a negative view on, on Bitcoin, mm. uh, right? Like you were mentioning earlier, uh, like Nigeria just recently came out with sort of like a, a warning and, and also the, um, and also India. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that's something that we're really thankful. You know, other challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis is, is also like um, uh, educating the customers. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we, we faced. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, for a lot of people, and especially to the customers that I cater to, uh, we had to explain from the start, like, you know, what Bitcoin is. And even before, sorry, actually, even before we have to explain about Bitcoin, we really need to explain about investing because their financial literacy, literacy is still very low in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So the concept of investing is, is also um, something that we need to educate uh, in turn to be able for them to then step into the, the framework of mind where, okay, I'll allocate some of our, uh, my, my own wealth. And so I'll start looking into products. And then we start educating them about, you know, portfolio diversification mm-hmm. and, and then also teaching them about, you know, the fundamentals of Bitcoin, why it's such a great wealth uh, preservation as an asset class and uh, why it's, in my opinion, our opinion is like a reserve currency in the future. So I think those were like the big challenges in the beginning. And of course, as we grew um, exponentially, like in the past couple of months, like any other any other uh, firm in our space, I think we've had to de- deal a lot with uh, scaling issues um, mm-hmm. on the technical side. And um, because like going from, you know, zero to one is very different from than going from one to 10. And so that we've also had to learn along the way. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little bit about you know, Nigeria, central banks, and also India, central bank that, you know, if people are, um, know the news right now, like the Indian, India central bank and Nigeria central bank imposed law to prohibit people uh, to exchange their money uh, to cryptocurrency. So like, what do you think about this? So I think, um, and this is my own personal opinion, I think at the end of the day, Governments can try to restrict the usage of cryptocurrencies, but you know, like the saying goes, right? Like water will always find its way mm-hmm. um, and will flow um, flow along its own path. Like you really can't stop water from flowing. I think it's it's the same uh, with with Bitcoin. Even though I think, uh, in my opinion, governments try to sort of like ban it, um, people will fi- always find a way to use it if there is demand for it, right? If people want it, they will find a way, whether it's like to, to peer-to-peer trading, uh, whether it's like actually exchanging physically cash for like some Bitcoins, um, they will find their way, I think. So it's really difficult for you to to stop this wave. And I think the best way around it, if, if I were um, in, the, in the position of sitting in the government, you know, I would I would take the stance of regulating it, right? I would, I would put in place the, the proper regulations to ensure um, Customers' funds are safe. Uh, ensure that there's no fraud from exchanges. I think that's the right way to go around it, in, in my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also do understand, right? Uh, the why governments do it. It's because um, at the same time they're losing control over their monetary policy, right? People are starting to use an asset class which they don't have um, power to control over, mm-hmm. and so it's scary because. Fundamentally, for governments, monetary policy gives them sovereignty, right? Um, it yeah. gives them power to, to to manage the country and to manage their economies. Without that, it's it becomes very difficult. So that's that's my personal opinion about that. I like your analogy about water, because water always flows into a current, and we are talking about currencies. So currencies cannot. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so also, what do you think about the trend of crypto exchange right now in Indonesia? 
I mean, I mean so, like, yeah, the, the exchange or the cryptocurrency as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, so cryptocurrency's adoption in Indonesia right now is about, what, two, two to three million people, uh, probably. It's about 1% of our population. And if we compare that to the states, uh, the states right now is about 30 million people. So, and that's about 10% of the uh, penetration of their population, maybe even more. And so I think in my own opinion, we're five years behind where the states are at, right? Uh, the states had their first exchanges pop up in 2013, 2014, and they had their first uh, government license being issued in 2015 with the New York uh, bid license. But for us, everything was like five years later. Exchanges, most exchanges only popped up in the last couple of years. Uh, set aside Indodex, which has been around for quite a while. And our regulation in Indonesia was only implemented in 2019, 2020. And so I think we're gonna go into an adoption curve uh, that, that mimics where the US was five years ago, uh, going from about one to 2 million to, the, to 30 million in the, in the next five years. And it's also against a backdrop of a few things going on, right? And uh, on the macro view there, um, we've ha we have a lot of, um, tailwinds helping us this time, right? We've got macroeconomic uh, policies that are driving interest rates towards zero and mm. causing people to, to basically uh, find yield elsewhere other than the financial existing financial system. People, mm -hmm. people want to get returns on their, on their cash and on their assets, and they're not getting them through uh, the banks. Uh, I think the equities market is getting a little bit frothy and it's, it's not as exciting. And so it's natural for people to to have their money flow into crypto. And I think this will be a multiplier effect and will 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 go on for quite some time, I think. I don't see, um, I don't think I, I see government stopping their uh, quantitative easing policies and, and money printing policies in the near term. I think it's gonna happen for the next one, two years. So I think the party is gonna, this time I think the party is gonna go on for a little bit longer than what we had in the past, whether it's in 2017 or, or, um, or the, the bubble before that. Mm -hmm. And do you see like there's a challenges uh, for like adoption in, in Indonesia, like a part of the education part? Um, like what, how, how it's going to go to that mass exponential growth in Indonesia? What do you see steps that we need to take? Sure. I think, um, why don't we talk about it in a few different uh, contexts or, or we'll silo it down into a few different aspects. I think first of all, we've got to look into the, uh, the platforms and infrastructure um, that helps people uh, get access to it. I think now in Indonesia, we're very much, uh, it's a very much better scene than it was a couple of years ago. You have multiple platforms offering cryptocurrencies uh, with different styles, different user journeys. Um, um, and I think that helps a lot. Um, and then on the second part, it's more about education. I think we, we need to have fundamental education. I think a lot of people, even a lot of people who come onto my platform are more uh, speculators, right? Uh, people who are in it for the trading nature of, of crypto rather than a long-term hodler. And so, and then I think it takes time. It takes time for people to switch their mindset from you know, this is something that I can trade in and out to, okay, this is something that I should hold for the long term because the fundamentals are solid. And it takes a lot of educating users. 
we've we've tried doing that uh you know through our social media campaigns or or through our in-app uh, educative uh, portal and sharing news in our app um, but i think that switch will take time for a lot of people and i think that's something that we need just need to be patient with and connected to that right it's also the narrative the narrative around cryptocurrencies in 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 the media out there i think for the past couple of years the narrative has always been uh, bitcoin is an alternative asset class bitcoin is uh, a bubble or bitcoin is something that you can trade in and out and it's very volatile but i think the narrative is starting to change uh, the narrative i think is going to change towards this is a reserve currency uh, that people can hold on to and it's good for wealth preservation and that uh, bitcoin and, and crypto is the future of finance and that is something that i think a lot of Indonesians still don't grasp yet um, but i think we're going to get there in time if we talk about our own journeys right there i mean i started off as thinking yes this is something that uh, we could trade it in out but after some time spending you know spending some time in it you know i started to develop this mindset that uh, i think this is it you know this is this is what's going to save us um so changing that mindset will take time and experience i think yeah i i think this is also very interesting with especially with bitcoin that everything is all about choice right like no one can force you to buy bitcoin it's your choice to buy bitcoin and then it's your choice to trade it or not to trade it and it's your choice to hold it to hold it as well right so um i think that's a, that's that's pretty much true what you said that it's it boils down to um patience and also uh people will go on different journey and then they will have yeah. their own realization at some point <laughs> betul, betul. right right yeah so and, Yeah. My, I wanted to share like my own journey was. Uh, I remember that time I I was listening to a talk. I think it was by Neha Narula. Uh, I think she was one of the crypto directors at MIT. She was talking about how uh, currencies were used in the early 1700s. I think it was in the Pacific Islands. People were using stones, right, uh, to trade as currency. And I think at the end of the day, whenever you're dealing with currency, it's all about perception. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's about perception of, of people who are involved in using it and how they perceive it. And so that takes a long time. I think revolutions don't happen in, uh, uh, don't happen overnight. And I think the lasting revolutions take a long time. But if you look at where our trajectory has been in the last 10 years in the crypto industry, it has gone a long way. And if you extrapolate that in the next couple of years, you know, I think it's just It's just a very rosy picture, in my own opinion, of where it's going to go. But it takes time for people to develop that perception. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it is, in my opinion, it's a bright future. So, uh, what do you see the future of crypto exchanges in Indonesia then? Sure, I think crypto exchanges serve a fundamental purpose in Indonesia for their for as an on ramp for people to to have that first experience to go into crypto. Um, so I think it's really good. And and looking at that and how underpenetrated we are in Indonesia, you know, I think at, at least for the next couple of years, I think it's going to be a, a wild ride uh, for crypto exchanges. Having said that, though, um, if you believe in crypto, you also believe in decentralization, right? You also believe um, that there should be no centralized party. 
And I do believe in the future, um, crypto exchanges, centralized crypto exchanges, uh, to be specific, are going to be at risk um, of being disrupted, you know, by the decentralized exchanges that are popping up a lot right now. Mm. Um, but at the same time, uh, you you sort of like have to choose between the two, between convenience and sort of like security, right? If you're managing your own key, keys, it'll probably be, be a little bit more secure, but you lose that aspect of convenience, right? Because you, you'd have to like keep the, your hardware wallet, uh, manage your own private keys, keep it keep your private keys safe. Then when whenever you want to trade it or use it, you'd have to pull it out. And so it's not very convenient. Uh, well, well, centralized crypto exchanges still provide um, a really easy way for people to trade it and uh, in a little bit more of a uh, uh, user journey that's very simple. And I do think centralized uh, exchanges will also still play a key role, I think, because liquidity is something that's important uh, for you to, to be an exchange. And right now, uh, I think liquidity is still mostly in, in centralized exchanges. But I do believe that might change in the future, right? With the advent of uh, automated market makers, um, that might change. And we've seen ourselves, uh, you know, DEXs like Uniswap growing exponentially. I think uh, over the last 30 days, uh, they've been dealing more than $1 billion every day. Um, and that's quite impressive. That's quite impressive for, uh, for basically an entity that has no centralized uh, part tier and you can trade trustlessly. Uh, yeah, so that's what I thought. Yeah, it's very interesting because I see like the time of Bitcoin right now is like the 90s of internet. There are so many possibilities going to happen. Things that is um, like, you know, in the 90s or early 2000, like we have MIRC for chat and then that slowly change into Yahoo Messenger and then slowly change into WhatsApp and whatever we have right now. So I also think like this role in um, in cryptocurrency and in crypto, like the exchange and all this thing will still be there, but it will evolve, depend on like whatever user yeah. wants or whatever people wants. Yeah. Right. And do you see this yeah. is, will be a huge problem though? Like because... <clears throat> A lot of Bitcoiners also suggest that, yeah, you know, like never store your Bitcoin in exchange, and then um, you know you should you should move your you you should self custody your Bitcoin, and then there's a lot of um, movement from exchange to private wallets, like if you see like in the chart. So, do you see this will be a potential problems for exchanges? I think there will be a spectrum there. I think there will be people, you know, who who still uh, would rather have that, that that convenience, and there will be others who are, you know, security uh, diehards who would keep their own uh, crypto in their private keys. And it happens also with me. I put some of my crypto in my own, you know, uh, um, off exchange wallet, and but I do keep some in my uh, in my uh, crypto exchange. Um, and it also depends on the use case, right? If you're trying to use it and then you have to connect your wallet and move it in and out, it's, it's quite a hassle. And so the way I like to think about it, you know, there's there's money you keep in your wallet and there's money you keep in your bank account, mm -hmm. right? Uh, with, with cash, it's, it's, it's the same idea. 
I think at the end of the day, if a centralized exchange has that, those levels of security in place, you know, managing hot, warm, cold wallets with uh, proper uh, compliance uh, in place to manage those funds, I think it could be to a certain level a little bit more secure than holding it on a, on a, on your own wallet. Because at the end of the day, I mean, if you lose your hardware wallet or if you accidentally destroy your uh, your 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 private keys or you lose uh, you lose those private keys, like it's gone forever. So there is that fear factor as well in, in putting everything in a, in a hardware wallet. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, agree. It's like, um, depend on use cases and then what you need. Right. Exactly. Right. So, um, what is your advice for people maybe from Indonesia or for people outside of Indonesia who just started to invest in Bitcoin? I think um, I think we all we always try to push forward, you know, um, safe investing, doing dollar cost averaging when you're trying to buy Bitcoin for the first time. You know, don't put all your money into it uh, in one go. Uh, invest into it periodically, uh, but consistently. And I think that over time has shown itself as the best way to get into Bitcoin. And and part of the reason is always because of the price swings and the volatility. Whenever you want to buy Bitcoin, it's usually when the price is like going up, and then a lot of times you'll catch it at the top, and you'll sort of regret it in one or two days. Like, why did I put it all at the top? And and so our, we always encourage our users to minimize that that regret factor by going in it periodically. That way, you'll average in um, into the cryptocurrencies with the mindset of holding it for the long term, right? And if you're holding it for the long term, I think we can all agree that it's a uh, an asset class that I think will continue to grow. So the best way is not to go in at the high price and, and the best way to do it is to, to average in over time. Yeah. And, and hodling. <laughs> and hodling. So I, I do believe a lot of people who trade in and out, um, a lot of times lose money. Uh, maybe in a bull market, it's easier to gain money, but over time, I think if you trade too much, I think it, it's it'd be difficult to time the market very well, um, unless you have a very strong view or you, you know there's um, opportunities or information in the market that other people you think other people don't know, and you have alpha, then I think it's it's uh, it's a place where you can, I mean you can take a bet, but without that, I think it's much more difficult for you to uh, for you to make uh, informed judgment uh, around trading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially um, like crypto trading is open 24-7, 365 days, right? So there's no stop, like there right. is no break. So it's very hard. Like whenever the US market wake up, the Asian market went to sleep and then they never like really agree with each other. So that's also creating more stress factor if you're like trading. Yeah, and I think more than more than anyone, people in our company, like people in exchanges, feel it because you have to be on call twenty four seven, right? Mm. That's that's one of the drawbacks, but also something that's exciting in the industry. I never get to rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but um, this is also what I notice, especially during this bull run. Um, a lot of exchanges in Indonesia, like they are overloaded with new traffic kind of like that or like over traffic something like that uh 
what like do you do you see that's because there's a lot of new people uh, want to join the crypto market or what caused this over traffic sure i think um, throughout the pipeline from the moment people onboard there's a spike in onboarding i think all the exchanges experience this there's a spike in, in trading volume as well. And so those two factors just contribute to the overload and, 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 and traffic on all of these systems. And it's actually not only us in Indonesia, it's everyone around the globe, right? Um, I think even Binance had some issues a couple of days ago. Um, some of the US exchanges has repeatedly also have a few issues the last couple of weeks. So it's all over the world, I think it's the same thing. Um, It's a good problem to have, but it's it's also painful. <laughs> problem, yeah, it's still a problem that you need to solve. It's still a problem, mm. yeah. And um, oh, maybe you have some data. Like, what is the, uh, yeah, the the demography of a user of crypto exchanges? Like, was it is it like mostly millennials or like how many percentage? Maybe there are boomers in so, so- Actually, you know, quite interestingly, we have about maybe I would say 15 to 20 percent who are above 35. Mm. Um, and so we do see a lot of people, uh, older people, uh, getting interested in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. A majority of it, I would say, still are around 18 to 25 and 25 to 30. I think that represents about 60 to 70 percent. But we see we start seeing a lot of older people uh, coming into Bitcoin. I mean, just the other day I had a I think actually a couple of months ago, I had one of my friend's mom uh, DM me on Instagram asking about you know Bitcoin and how she, how she could invest in, in Bitcoin. And I think I think uh, you know with the advent of technology and how much technology has um, just accelerated, I think to a certain degree you really can't differentiate anymore between uh, Gen Z. Uh, Gen Y, Gen X, or like um, the boomers, I think it's starting to be, I think older people are starting to get into technology much faster than we think. Uh, and I think we're starting to see that uh, in the adoption of crypto as well. Yeah, I also feel the same because like uh, in class Bitcoin, like I, I help people to, you know, learn about Bitcoin and also to set up their wallet and then buy crypto and, and then, yeah, uh, also recommend them like with different crypto exchanges and there are like some people older than 50 who ask about you know who become like my client and who i help them to uh, buy this thing and i found it really interesting that if you can explain it simply to 50 years old then you can explain it to other people <laughs> because right. because for them like it's so hard to to switch the mindset and especially in Indonesia, like all the older people, like they use WhatsApp or they use like very simple technology. And then, well, I think like maybe for, for, for maybe for suggestion, like if we can make uh, the, the onboarding to be as simply as possible, like how it, how it is with, with WhatsApp. So then older people can, can uh, buy crypto. I think that, I think that when when the mass adoption is gonna come to right. Indonesia, <laughs> I mean most people most people who use WhatsApp are over 50 right now. They just like to chat with each other. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but. 
And you see it the same way, right? Like with Facebook, it was like first used by young people. And then gradually now, I think like Facebook is more used <laughs> by older people. Yeah. I think they're the late adopters, but I do also think that, you know, older people now are more open to change uh, rather than not. They're, they understand the impact of technology. And I think uh, they're more open to trying new things than they were a couple of years ago. Um, and I think that's going to happen, uh, continue to happen at least in Indonesia as well, in adoption of crypto. We have a lot of customers now who are even corporates, you know, especially after like what happened with Tesla. There's a lot of corporate companies who are starting to look into crypto and, and putting that on their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's uh, the acceleration is going to just uh, increase. In not only just corporate, but also small business owner. I mean, maybe people who are in, as an individual investor, they see like they have gains and then they own some business. Right now, I also see like there are some like small business owner who put their money aside as a reserve in Bitcoin and then maybe use that for um, like a retirement fund for their employees or for investment for like future investment maybe they want to expand their business kind of like that so it's uh it's actually a very big opportunities as well in small uh, business actually I, i wanted to ask more um how, how do usually small business owners get uh introduced to crypto and how do they usually buy and manage their crypto well i mean this is just Uh, from my conversation with people who are owning crypto and then they are business owner. So I think their f- first introduction is just they want to invest themselves as an individual. Uh, and then they see the potential uh, of of crypto, of Bitcoin um, as, yeah, as an investment that they can utilize in the future. And I found it really interesting, like as well, uh, if we watch the talk between Ross Steven and Michael Saylor from the MicroStrategy uh, Bitcoin for Corporation, like uh, Ross Steven said that if you put your fund in as a reserve for your business, then everything will get cheaper. Like you, you pay salary get cheaper. Your your rent is gonna get cheaper, and I think this is also uh, an incentive for small business owner. But as uh, from the people that I talk with, uh, they use that f- uh, cryptocurrency for, yeah, for their retirement fund, for their employees' retirement fund, for expanding their business if they want to let's say want to expand their restaurant and then they need to build house uh, or build a new building kind of like that so they put aside and then use it as like a saving thing so it's very interesting i see interesting and and also you you sit where, where do you sit right now by the way i mean wood in, uh, in bali right you're, you're in bali and we we see a lot of traffic coming from bali i think uh people there you know with the uh exposure to uh, to a lot of uh, international uh, travelers I think it's also a hot spot for crypto right yeah I think it's a, yeah in 2017 this is like the the Mecca <laughs> like there's every place is 
uh, accepted Bitcoin, you know, like you can right. you can eat, pay with Bitcoin, you can uh, go to spa and pay with Bitcoin. There are even like Fila who got paid by Bitcoin. I don't know, maybe the guy right now become billionaire or millionaire. <laughs> I have no idea right <laughs> now what's happened. But yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> and a lot of uh, you know founders also moved to uh, to Bali, and because I think the nature of crypto is also global from day one. You can really work anywhere in the world, right? Be part mm -hmm. of the, the crypto economy. Um, I think I know one of the. Uh, you know, have you heard of? You've heard of MetaMask, right? MetaMask. MetaMask. Meta, yeah, MetaMask is uh, uh, an Ethereum wallet. It's uh, mm. one of them adopted. I think one of the founders right now live in, in Bali. Yeah, there are actually a lot of like to like uh, coins, tokens that are actually developing here. I also don't know. And suddenly, like there there are actually multiple gatherings in Bali as well, talking about different cryptocurrency. So yeah, this is a very interesting spot for uh, maybe it's the next citadel for <laughs> for Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Awesome. So before we close, which is, this is what I want to ask, actually. Uh, so I read that uh, the the official name of Pintu is PT Pintu Kemana Saja, <laughs> which yeah. is come from Doraemon, like oh, right. uh, a Japanese cartoon. So can you explain why it's it called Pintu Kemana Saja and what is the philosophy behind it? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Maybe for the audience who doesn't know, uh, Doraemon is like a very popular... Uh, Japanese cartoon uh, that most Indonesians, I would say, are, are familiar with and, and read it when they were young, right? And so in the, in the cartoon series, uh, and Doraemon is like sort of like this blue cat. Uh, without ear. Uh, <laughs> without ears that has like a magic pocket where he can pull out a lot of like magical stuff. And one of the magical stuff that always comes out of this pocket is uh, this, this door. Um, and... Pintu Kemana Saja is, the, is a translation to door to anywhere. So whenever he pulls out this door, like they usually use it to go anywhere in the world at any time, right? And so I see, I see cryptocurrencies as sort of like something exactly like that, right? With crypto, you know, being part of the uh, crypto economy, you can move your Bitcoins or any type of tokens anywhere in the world at any time. And so that's sort of like the philosophy around it. And, why we name it Pintu Kumana Saja, because once you're on our platform and once you bought crypto, you can send it anywhere mm. any, in the world at any time, 24-7. And, and also, also it, it lends itself to the name of Pintu, right? We see ourselves as the gateway for people to come into crypto. Um, and so that's like the whole philosophy around it. And I like it because uh, Doraemon is considered to be like a magic cat because he is very advanced and then have all these tools. And Bitcoin is a magic internet money, so it's very, <laughs> it's very fitting, I think. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> One of my proudest moments is when I named my company. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, this has been very fun. Uh, thank you so much, Jet, for uh, sharing your stories and also your insight about crypto exchange in Indonesia. And if people want to uh, buy crypto in Indonesia, they can download Pintu at uh, app stores. And also there is a website, um, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. that's how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. And I hope uh, you have a good day. Okay, thanks, Dea. Catch up again soon. See ya. Thanks,
Thank you for listening to the My Bitcoin Story. Stay tuned for more episodes and click that follow button.